Our speaker, Marisa, will share her own recovery journey, and then she will guide us through a study of, I believe, step nine. Nine. <laughs> Great. She will be referring to our big book, Eating Disorders Anonymous. She will provide page references as indicated. There will be time for questions and member sharing after Marisa finishes. Some members find that the book is much easier to follow if using a paper version of the book. So if you only have the book on an electronic device, you may prefer to just listen. So you have the floor, Marisa. Thanks. Thank you so much for your service, Emily. And thanks for the opportunity to be of service to our group. Um, I'm a little nervous. So if I uh, fade in and out, just let me know. I'm just going to follow the, you know, the regular format of, um, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And obviously, you can see from my age, there's a lot that happened before I got here, since I didn't get here <laughs> until 2017. But um, I will just sort of just try and, you know, it's hard to sum up so many years of um, an eating disorder in five minutes, but that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, you know, I don't think I was really diagnosed with an eating, well, I know I wasn't diagnosed with an eating disorder until I came into recovery and um, was in a denial about it, even though it started um, as a very young child. Um, I, you know, I can remember even being four and five years old and already obsessing around food and um, having a lot of my focus around food. Um, I spent most of my childhood either, I'm going to use the, the word fat in a very loving way, but either being fat or feeling like I was fat. And my first diet was around five. I remember being put on a diet. So I spent most of my life weight cycling um, up and down, up and down, um, trying to control my body and not even, you know, realizing until I came into recovery that it really wasn't about the, my body or the food or anything along those lines at all, but that there were other issues that really needed to be addressed. Um, you know, I also have a history of bulimia, and my bulimia didn't start until my teens. And once again, I was in an incredible amount of denial around my bulimia, and I was, I was a very good secretive bulimic. So I've never really shared it with anyone, neither medical professionals, nor people in my family, um, nor my husband. And, you know, I lived with, I, this is my first husband um, that I lived with for 20 years, and he never knew. And, um, yeah, and I, I think I, when I say my first husband, I think about how my eating disorder manifested and how it affected my life, not only my personal life, but my career and the damage that was done to relationships. Um, how much of my life I spent focusing on myself and my eating disorder and my obsession with food, body, uh, weight, and the huge impact that that had on all aspects of my life. And I did not see that when I was in the midst of my eating disorder. And it took a long time for me to get into recovery. It took, it took a long time um, to find my way into 12-step rooms. I actually um, finally, because of a lot of medical issues related to my bulimia, found my way to a, a therapist 
who actually recommended that I go to another 12-step program, an abstinence-based 12-step program, and that was in about 2010. And, oh, I get so emotional, and I cry a lot, and I get emotional, so just hang there with me, but that program saved my life. So I have a lot of gratitude for 12-step programs, even though I spent you know, probably seven or eight years in that program, I found recovery from my bulimia in that program. You know, I didn't really find recovery from my bulimia. It was, it was given to me. And, um, you know, all I did was show up and follow directions and do the best that I could. And a lot of my eating disordered behaviors were relieved. Um, so that part, it sounds like it was so easy, but it was such a painful process. It was, I remember the day that I, I got a sponsor in my first program and I started working the steps. And I remember coming home from that meeting and sitting on my couch and I, I just cried because I, I was so afraid. I was so terrified of giving up what I saw at the time as like my life, my best friend, my companion, my everything, my whole world revolved around food, how to get food, how to hide food, how to lie about food, how to steal food. Um, it was my go-to. It was the only coping skill that I had in life. It was the only thing that I knew to turn to to help me deal with life on a day-by-day -day basis. And I think that moment that was the moment I took step one because I realized that how powerless I was over the unmanageability in my life and how much I needed another solution. And, you know, I look back at the medical problems that I was having and I think it was probably my third trip to the emergency department when I finally realized I needed another solution. And, you know, the solution was a 12-step program. So like I said, I spent several years in that program and I found you know, good recovery in many ways, but I also found out working that program that I have a restrictor in my, in, my, um, in my psyche as well. And I could not find peace around food because of the, the model that I was working. And I couldn't find peace with myself because I could never do it right. I could never do it exactly the way that it needed to be done. And so it was a, a difficult journey. Um, it was also a difficult journey for me initially because, it, you know, the, the program and the sponsor that I had at the time was an AA sponsor and very based in um, the, the, the higher power God aspect of the program. And as an atheist, it was quite hard for me and I, I should say rabid atheist. I was a rabid atheist when I came into the program. And um, the idea of having to depend on something greater than me or something more than me made no sense at all because the only way that I could see, could make sense of my life is that I was the one that I could depend on and I was the one that could get myself through things. So, you know, that act of, you know, the steps two and three, Boy, those were hard, just being willing 
to trust that there was something beyond me. And then not only trusting that, being handing everything over, that was really hard. So that's kind of what happened. So I, you know, I worked the program. I had a sponsor. I started sponsoring. Um, and then one day I just, I just could not, I started coming to this realization that I didn't really have peace and I wanted full recovery. And what I had learned in another 12 step program was that I would never have full recovery, that I would always be quote unquote sick and would always need uh, to live on a, you know, what the, the, I guess the slogan is one bite away. And I could not, I cannot live my life one bite away. That is not how I want to live my life. Um, I had a sponsee in another program that had seen the EDA Big Book, and she told me about it, and that was in 2017. And I went online and looked at it, and I checked out a few EDA meetings. And once again, I sat on my couch and cried because I couldn't believe how much I could relate to the readings and the literature that I saw in um, the EDA writing. Um, so I kind of got together with a few other people in 12-step recovery, and we did kind of informal EDA readings at my house on a weekly basis, and that was in 2017. And then in 2018, I um, saw an, a flyer for an EDA step study meeting down in San Diego, and that was in January, and I, I decided that I really needed this. Um, and I have to say, like, between October of 2017 and January of 2018, I decided to transition to EDA, and I did it alone, which we never do recovery alone, but I chose to do it alone. And I went into free fall, and it was a crazy transition. It was one of the most difficult uh, times in my recovery path. And... Um, I didn't learn the lesson that we, that, that we never do anything alone in recovery. Um, I really practice that now, and I hope I'll continue to remember that, but I forgot that. I really forgot that we just don't do this alone. So I was in pretty bad shape when I came into EDA, and uh, luckily I found a sponsor in, at that workshop, workshop in January, and believe it or not, she was an atheist. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God, here's someone who shares my story. She, we just had so much in common. Um, and, you know, going down there and just being there and relating to what I heard and finding someone there that I, I heard my story and could relate to. And also the, the, the killer, the nail in that was she said she was fully recovered. And that was something that was, I, I really, I didn't believe was possible. I honestly didn't believe it was possible. And it was something that I wanted more than anything in my life, but didn't believe it was possible. And here's this woman telling me that she is fully recovered and I can, I can be fully recovered too. And that's what she told me that day at that workshop. So that's what I hung on to. Yeah, I really hung on to that. And, you know, the first, you know, working the steps in EDA with her was pretty amazing, such a different experience than in other fellowships that I've been in. It was, um, it's almost like the kinder, gentler way. It was just so weird. It was just, 
so loving and so accepting. And um, I could just relate so much more to the approach. And I realized one of the huge things that was missing in my recovery was self-compassion, acceptance of my path, and the realization, and not only the realization, but really a true visceral acceptance that I was never going to do it perfectly. And in spite of never being able to do it perfectly, she kept telling me that I could have full recovery. And that's what, that's what keeps me coming back to, to EDA, is that promise of full recovery. So, you know, I still um, come regularly to EDA. I, I sort of straddled two programs uh, for a while. And after about a year, I realized that just wasn't working. And so I strictly work in EDA program now. And in terms of the food programs, um, I have a wonderful sponsor. And I also sponsor an EDA now. And that, you know, sponsorship is one of those things that just incredibly expands my program. I, you know, I've sponsored for seven or eight years now. And that is how I further my recovery by, you know, going over the steps over and over with sponsees and, you know, seeing it over and over and learning so much from my sponsees. I can't speak highly enough of the need for me to sponsor, to maintain my recovery. You know, it keeps it fresh. It uh, reminds me, you know, each day what I need to, how I need to move in my life and what I need for my recovery. Um, so I, you know, I try to have a pretty, I don't know, daily ritual of prayer and meditation. And, you know, prayer for an atheist is like a lot of people say, well, what do you, how do atheists pray? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't, I don't really know what I pray to. Um, and I'm not even sure, you know, people of faith know what they pray to. And I, and I think that's a moot point. I think the reality is that if I'm able to accept that I'm not God and that I need something beyond my ego, um, because it's my ego that moves me into self-will and um, takes me along the path that is not living, you know, life as my true authentic self. And, um, you know, one of the things that I remember my sponsor telling me, my EDA sponsor, when I was like dealing with this idea of higher purpose, which I had never heard before. You know, one day she asked me, she said, like, what if your higher purpose is just living your life as your authentic self? And, you know, that just blew my mind. I had never thought about, I always thought of, you know, the God or the higher power, the higher purpose, having to be, you know, something sort of out there in the world. And she helped me to understand that really my higher purpose is living my life authentically in service. And, you know, that idea of being in service of, you know, what, what can I do for fun and for free? And I say that in a very, um, you know, the reality is what can I do without resentment? Um, what can I do um, with joy and love in my heart? And, you know, the other thing that I've really learned in EDA is that in order for me to be of service, I have to take care of me first. And that was another hard hard learned lesson for me because I was born of kind of grew up in the kind of family where um, 
you know, <laughs> there was not a lot of um, education around self-care. There was not a lot of communication in my family. So I really didn't have the skills. So I came out of, you know, young adulthood without the skills that I needed to cope with life. And I didn't know how to take care of myself. I could do it physically and I could earn a living, but I didn't know how to take care of myself spiritually and emotionally. And that is one thing I have learned in EDA, um, how to take care of myself, you know, very imperfectly. And, you know, I feel like I'm on that, that road. And I also understand now that, you know, there is no, there is no fix it because I am not broken. I've never been broken. And I truly believed that before I came to a 12-step program, that I was somehow, in, you know, just broken. And I kept looking for a fix. And, you know, that fix is not out there. Um, it really isn't. The fix isn't here, as we say in, you know, the mother program, it's an inside job. And, you know, that's what I'm learning, you know, through working the steps. So, you know, I really try to allow the steps to work through me and to use the principles of the steps and to live my life in the framework of the steps. And, you know, as I tell my sponsees, I you know there's nothing that comes up in my life now that I cannot deal with through the framework of the steps. And, you know, I, I start, I have to, I find myself starting back at step one for anything that comes up. You know, I've got to admit that I'm powerless over something in order to even move toward a solution for it. So um, the steps is, you know, the steps is where it's at. That's just how it is in my life. Um, so tonight, I think we're specifically talking about step nine. So I want to share a little bit about my experience around um, step nine. And I think before I do that, I'd like to go into the readings of step nine. Um, and the reading of step nine in the EDA big book is on page one, 32. And I want to read the long form of step nine. I really love the long form. Um, it's step nine is after counsel with a sponsor or an EDA or other 12 step group member who has worked the 12 steps. We went to the people we had injured and admitted our fault and regret. Our statements were simple, sincere, and without blame. We set right the wrongs as best we could and expected nothing in return. Accountability set us free. And you know, working step nine is an incredible- what, that, what page did you say? One, oh, I'm sorry, it's 182. Thank you. Like 132, yes, 182, bad printer. <laughs> um, so there is an incredible amount of freedom um, working step nine. And you know, I did, I've done the steps several times. And you know, the first time I did, a fourth step and then you know took that out to eight and nine it was it was really it was frightening I have to admit I was really afraid I had a lot of things to make amends for and you know the you know a lot of the the amends I made were from stealing from people stealing food and stealing things and I had to go and make you know I had to walk into places and say, hey, you know, I stole this. And um, I remember thinking the first amend that I made was at a store that 
that is close to my house. And I'm like, well, I remember telling my husband, I'm like, what if I get arrested? <laughs> I'm like, honey, I may not come home. And, you know, that reminds me that we have to be willing to go at any lengths for our recovery. And at that point, you know, I had that gift of desperation that I was willing to do what I needed to do to find recovery. Um, so that was like the scary part of my amends is, you know, being afraid of ramifications. But I found that most of the amends that I made uh, went quite well. I mean, some did not, um, but most of them did. And the process for doing that, obviously, is, you know, as we go through it, we make a list of all the people's, of the people that we harm. Um, you know, then through nine, how my sponsor had me do it um, is basically to come up with a list of people that I think I owe amends and to talk to her. And I think that's a really important point is that we take counsel from others. There were a lot of people on my amends list that my sponsor's like, no way, <laughs> you're not making amends to those people that would do more harm. And I didn't see that. And um, once again, as I say to my sponsees, you know, we, we never do this work in isolation. This is something we do with someone else so that we have some, uh, someone with some perspective. So whenever I make amends, I always talk to someone about it. Um, and there's um, 182 and 183, it talks about some of the keys to step nine. Um, it talks about, you know, the goal of our amends process. And, you know, it's, it's sort of my sponsor um, that brought me through the steps in EDA, you know, made it pretty clear to me that amends are about setting right the wrongs that I have done. Um, you know, it's not about me getting forgiveness or feeling better about myself. Those are some of the side benefits of it. But the reality is that step nine is about the people that I've created harm in their lives and that I do the best that I can to make restitution for that. Um, so it's really important that when I approach people, I, you know, the way I did, I had a little index card and I had a script and the first few amends I did, I actually rehearsed with my sponsor because I was afraid and she kind of played the other person and she helped me get ready to go out there and do those things. And, um, that was so incredibly helpful. I felt like I already knew what I was going to say. And, you know, some people like let me get through the amends and others interrupted right away. And I sort of lost, you know, lost where I was, but the important thing that she said is to keep it simple, say what you need to say. And then she would like zip your lip and let the other person say whatever they need to say. And that I think was really important um, because I wanted to explain in a million ways why I did what I did. And that really wasn't relevant. It's, you know, it's really about making the restitution. Um, the other, I think a big point on 183 is um, in the squiggly right in the italics, it says we make no mention whatsoever of anything the other person said or did. Um, and, you know, the other thing I remember writing down when I was starting step nine is, you know, there's 100% fault in um, an amend. And if I only own 1% of that, I still make an amend. So there could be a place where someone else has a lot of fault, but that is not my job to point that out to them. My, my job is just to take responsibility for my part of it. Um, the other thing is going in without expectations. Um, on, 184, on 184, it talks about, you know, how we can't have expectations. You know, I wanted some amends to go 
I think one of my most disappointing amends was one that I put off for like a year and a half. I mean, it was like in my third column, I had columns of amends I'm willing to make right now, amends I'll probably make someday, and amends there's no, there's no freaking way I'm ever making that amend. And this one was in that third column for like a year and a half. And it finally just, I don't know, the person showed up in my life and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I had uh, spent a lot of sleepless nights over that amend. And when I made that amend to that person, he looked at me and he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I think about all of the energy in this time that I worried about that. Um, so I, that really helped me to go in with other amends without any expectation of what it was going to look like. Um, yeah. So I think this sentence really sums up pretty well. It says, this is on 184 as well. It says, we're likely to feel vulnerable and exposed, and we can expect to experience rejection, remorse, and pain, but we must not shirk from our job because we need to demonstrate to ourselves and to the world the sincerity of our stance. It talks also about step nine, that we reestablish integrity and build a foundation for trust. And that was so key. You know, I came into this program not trusting myself or others. And, you know, part of this recovery path is regaining the trust, learning to trust myself and to believe that I am able to make a commitment and follow through. And step nine really helped me to, to lay that foundation. Um, I mean, the wonderful thing about step nine is that, wow, we're like, we're, we're almost done to you know, laying that foundation and then moving into a place of sort of, I don't know, I don't like to think of it as maintenance, as 10, 11, and 12, and I think a lot of people call them you know, 10, 11, 12 maintenance steps, but I still think of them as growth steps, but you know, steps one through nine bring us through this transition and a true transformation of, um, at least for me, a true transformation of someone who came in self-absorbed, you know, just obsessed with food and body, um, you know, engulfed in self-centered fear. And working steps one through nine helped me and continues to help me move out of myself and into the world and into life, not living in here within and navel-gazing, which is what I did. And um, I think really important is to point to point out that, you know, when we tell our stories at all, you know, it sounds like things just kind of happen and, and they go and things are smooth. It's not a rocky course. And that's one thing I love about the EDA literature. It talks about that fits and starts that, you know, the road to recovery is not a linear path. And when I, you know, when I go through the recovery drive through, I don't get to just order up what I want. You know, recovery brings me what it delivers. And learning to have acceptance and gratitude makes the journey uh, so much easier. Um, I think everyone has heard the nine-step promises, so I'm not going to read them. Um, but I'm just going to read this last sentence on page 185, where it says, The benefits and all of the promises come from continuous reliance on the foundation we've put in place. And that, for me, has been the key. Like, no matter what has happened in my life and recovery in the last nine years, you know, whether I was in a, you know, when I was in an absence-based program, whether I was abstinent or not, whether I was doing behaviors or not, 
I kept coming back. I always kept coming back. And that has saved my life and it has enlarged my life. It has um, brought me a life where I, I feel, I, I feel now, I know what my feelings are. I can, I'm learning to respond to feelings rather than just reacting to life, you know, as it happens. I'm Five minute warning. Thanks, Regina. I'm learning to um, show up in a more loving and compassionate way, not only with myself, but with others. I'm learning to trust myself. I'm learning, like, who am I? I really am learning who I am. And, you know, it's amazing to me that having an eating disorder kept me from knowing myself and kept me from living my life to the potential that, that I have. And, you know, in some ways I look back and I think, you know, wow, I lost a marriage through my eating disorder. I lost a business through my eating disorder. I, I lost a lot of health, um, had a lot of health issues because of this. And I think I'm finally to the point in recovery that I, I can look back and understand that through all that has happened in my life, I have found a path forward and that what my past has looked like has made me able to fully show up today as a very imperfect human, but very much more interested in others and service and very much more willing to be open to what I don't know. And that, to me, has been really important. So I think I will wrap up there. And um, that's it. Thank you.